This is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. Wednesday morning to you. It's the 12th day of January, the year 2022. In case you haven't filled out a form lately and had to write that down, don't forget that. And Grant Newsham's going to join us in kind of our new format. And we're going to talk to Grant about. Um, Get his thoughts about Dr. Evil as the situation that has Russia massing troops on the Belarus-Ukraine-Russia-Ukraine border, telling everybody in the world that he's being threatened by NATO, a bit of a head-scratcher. And um, and if he doesn't get some deal that he's looking for, then he'll invade, I guess is the threat. So Vladimir Putin made for TV event. And, you know, the question continues that you ask is, what does he really want? Okay. You know Vladimir Putin is lying when his lips are moving, so we know that. So what does he really want? What is the end game in all of this? So Grant's going to come on. We'll talk about that. Uh, we'll also talk about North Korea, has, North Korea has taken to launching ICBMs again. 
Uh, we know that they don't do that stuff without China's blessing. And so what is that about? And uh, so we'll talk to Grant about that. And then China watches, I don't know what you would call it, American Resolve, you know, freshly out of the nation's failure in Afghanistan. A weakened America is getting poked in the chest by the president of Russia and China watches. Will China, with its eyes on Taiwan, say, look, if they won't, you know, if the free nations of the world won't stand up to him, they won't stand up to us. And so we'll talk to Grant about that as well. So good morning to you on this Wednesday. Grant Newsham joins me right now. Joining me today is uh, Grant Newsham. So first time I've done uh, the program in a couple of weeks. So uh, always easy to have somebody really smart on. And uh, so uh, Grant's name immediately leapt to the front of my head. And so... Um, Grant, uh, how are you? How's life? What's going on? Fine, thanks. When it's the uh, smart guys, uh, my name doesn't <laughs> leap to the front of my head. <laughs> so I hope he's coming on afterwards. Well, the, uh, yeah. what about? Uh, but you were uh, you were quoted in the Wall Street Journal. That's smart mm-hmm. guys. That's smart guy stuff. You've uh, that's obviously a threshold that you've now become uh, a smart guy. It's not just. I mean, the last time when they quoted you. Uh, who was quoting you? Like the Guardian and different people were saying that China's going to win the war, or something like that, right? Oh uh, yeah, uh-huh. it's a, yeah, yeah, yeah. The journal, Wall Street Journal is good. You know, I had. Um, I think what's the movie, uh, brother? Oh, brother, where art thou? Where uh-huh. they say uh, you're bona fide, right? In the, <laughs> in, the in in that southern draw, <laughs> he's bo- yeah. he's bona fide. So uh, I think yeah. I think you're bona fide now. They're yeah, uh, definitely Congre- bona fide. <laughs> yeah, they uh, they of course cut it. They removed the nuance to what I said, but I don't care. With just seeing my name in there. Yeah, but, yeah. you you darken the doors of the Wall Street Journal as a news source. I mean, come on, they they at least have some standards. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh huh. And th- this reporter is actually very good. He's a very good reporter. Who who, um, who wrote the piece that quoted you? It's a fellow named Alistair Gale. He's a, a, a Scotsman, and uh, he lives in Japan now. But um, he, he's he's like an, uh, I would say, old school reporter, but that doesn't quite get it. He's like an honest reporter. You know, he's interested in digging up information and presenting the facts. Uh, so he's a yeah, good guy. But, you know, when I thought that when you got quoted in the newspapers and stuff, I thought that, like, at the end, you know, for your time, that they would, like, slip you a 20 <laughs> and tell you to go, you know, go buy something nice. And uh, they don't. You know, it's all free. And uh, the – so, but I guess when I put my name into Google, it comes up more often now. Well, and I'm, I I want to say that Almerin Radio has contributed to that. Mm-hmm. You oh, many times over. Oh yeah. my God! Yeah, you you type in Grant Newsham, you'll see Elmer and Radio all over the place. 
<laughs> so, so I know how to ride somebody's coattails to a better place. Uh, I've done it for much of my life. And, uh, oh, well, I've been more I, of a I, let, let, you know, <laughs> I've been more for letting others do the work for me. That's well, that's a little my, bit about my the, MO. Yeah, it's a little bit like that. It's a little bit. Let's get let's get Huck to paint the fence, or let's get uh, I I don't know. Was Huck getting somebody else to paint the fence? It's a southern fairy tale or, or story. You should know because you're a a southern gentleman so what say ye to the do you remember did you actually read it i never read mark twain or oh, i read very good i read oh, yeah. i read excerpts from it but it i really well, didn't i really didn't understand the language oh i do it's well you know if you're well, you should well you're it's southern though so it's english as a second language it's not primary english it's southern english mm. well missouri isn't really the south so these they were don't, like they these, don't know that they didn't okay. know that at the time. Mark Twain yeah. didn't know that. Okay. But no, sub, Huck Finn did not, whoever it was, didn't subcontract. Um, they got stuck doing it. Um, so, yeah, gotcha. for whatever that's worth. Gotcha. I want to, the first one I want to talk to you about is, um, is Dr. Evil, uh, Vladimir oh, yeah. Putin. Um, what do you make, and this thing has gone on now, Kyrgyzstan is uh, in turmoil, and uh, and Russia is, is saving them. Um, so um, he had his what four hour press conference, sitting on the back of a horse without his shirt on, probably. Yeah, yeah. well, but, he was uh, not. He had his. Uh... Okay, um, but it's actually Kazakhstan, which is in a, a hurt locker, but it always is. Um, but you know. It's, What's you know going on? You know that's I guess the question, is you know he wants to sort of restore Russia back to what it was in the Soviet Union era. Is, is that is but, that is that really? I mean, if you were a betting man, and we're standing in Vegas, and I said, okay, Newsom, the world's ending tomorrow. Uh, what are you gonna put this on, red or black? Right, and uh, the consequences will be death at midnight for you. Oh. Everybody else is going to die at six in the morning, but you're going to die at midnight if you screw this up. What are you betting? What are you hanging your hat on that he wants out of all of this? Oh, the five ninety nine shrimp cocktail, at <laughs> circus, circus. But if that's not available, uh, I think what he wants is to intimidate the Americans and the Europeans. Not that that takes much effort uh, into giving him what he wants and what he wants is a sort of control over even if not physical occupation of ukraine uh, and the eastern european nations that used to be part of the the soviet union soviet bloc uh, and i think that's what he wants is this domination this sort of this uh, moral domination over these countries on his boundary and he wants it over the people who will give up, give him that domination. And that is the Americans, that's Brussels, the EU, and all of these big European countries that supposedly matter, if they sell out and allow Putin to have this domination uh, over those countries, Ukraine and say those former Soviet bloc states and the Baltics again, that he's got them. You know, he's, uh, you know, he doesn't have to attack anyone he doesn't have to physically occupy but he has made them do what he wants bent them to his will he's humiliated them 
And that plays out also in, you know, in economically, where nobody's going to put any serious sanctions on him. They're going to allow him to build up these economic ties, particularly in energy supplies, with these uh, European countries, the Germans in particular, who've cornered the market on Quislings, it appears. Uh, and, you know, so I think that's what he's after. And if you can get all these other countries and the Americans to give you what you want, even part of it, that, you know, you think about it, you're much better off than you were the day before. And you're then a country that has to be taken seriously. You know, it's this country with the GDP of Italy or such like. Uh, but you I, have... I, I think it's south of Italy. Okay, well then, then uh, Kazakhstan. Uh, south of Canada, mm -hmm. uh, south of South Korea, I think certainly south of Italy. It's like a, um, one point something. It's, it's, I, on, it's stunning. I saw a map of the world's GDP. And uh, we're given Russia's landmass, and the number is absolutely stunning. You could take that you could take that much of the world and be so on your ass as a nation that you can't produce anything. And the vast majority of that is natural resources, right? So mm -hmm. other than that is it's nothing. So it's it's pretty amazing when you look at it. Yeah, so so that's what I think he wants. And it's not necessary. It isn't just the, the old Soviet Union, because that's not going to be put back together the way it was. But uh, the next best thing, and if you look at it back longer before the Soviet Union, it was the old Russian Empire uh, that had these non-Rus or non-Russian parts to it. And that's what he's he's after. And but it, it's ultimately about power domination uh, that. And he's, I think he's got sized up his opponents uh, properly now. And I'm sort of dreading what's going to come out uh, of this meeting in Geneva between the, the Yankees and the Russians uh, tomorrow or today or whenever, uh, soon. Soon. And, you know, I really don't know that we've got the stomach to basically just tell him, nope, thank you for meeting us. It's game's over. And... If you want to know what we're going to do, wait and see. Instead, we're just going to talk and talk and talk, and he's going to string us along. And I think the Biden administration has probably got really a, a doozy of a sort of an appeasement package uh, ready for him. Uh, this, you know, you know, I'm not old enough to remember, but I've read enough about it. And this really resembles what happened to Czechoslovakia in the late 30s, uh, where you have, you know, you'll notice that this, this meeting, the first meeting, is between the Americans and the Russians, and they're getting together to talk about the fate of Europe and also, and specifically, the fate of Ukraine. So imagine that. You know, you'd think that, uh, like the Americans would have said, "Nope, we're not going to talk unless you bring Ukrainians with it, unless we bring the Ukraine uh, and the Europeans with us." Instead, now, and we just did this recently, right? I mean, we talked to the Taliban without the Afghans there. So, uh, same thing. It's uh, you think we'd know better. You know what? Do, what do the what do the Ukrainians think? What do the Europeans think about one American competence? Is what I would say, and you know, sort of reliability. Uh, I think they've got to have some very serious doubts about that, because uh, you and Putin knows he's smart enough to know that with these Americans, that if he just yells, the Americans will come to come and come running, and. 
to have done this without bringing your allies, your friends into this is, is just insane. And you, but remember, we were told the professionals are back handling American foreign policy. The adults are back. Thank God. But, I mean, this is so stupid that, you know, they should if, you know, that if the, the republic survives, they ought to study this thing is how not to do things. It's um, really perplexing, you know, that but maybe it isn't if you stick around long enough. It's uh, kind of what you'd expect from uh, the third stringers. Um, so running true to form, maybe, you know, this is this is how we do it. And not in America's strategic interest, you know, yada, yada, yada. Uh, oh, and th- therefore, yeah, they- th- therefore, you know, we're go- what are we going? What are we going to do? Hand them, you know, Ukraine, and say, you know, hey, and look at the Ukrainian people, and say, hey, we've made a deal with the Russians in order to avoid a war. We've given them three quarters of your country. Yeah, or you know, that it's hard to know exactly what the the deal is, or what's going to be offered or not offered. And, but we'll know soon enough. But they, what the Russians have demanded is, you know, that Ukraine never gets into NATO, that America doesn't and uh, EU don't have any uh, military ties with NATO, don't provide them any military support, and that the Americans and NATO uh, don't do military operations in Eastern Europe uh, and other things. So that's basically what they're demanding, which is sort of a return to the old Soviet days, and what we're I, what I would expect is that we're going to offer them something like, well, we won't, uh, we'll let you know if we do any exercises and we won't do them as often. Uh, and Biden, President Biden has already said that there will not be a U.S. military response if the Russians attack Ukraine. Well, that was perhaps ill-advised, uh, well, it was ill-advised. Um, so Putin must be thinking, wow, this I'm looking forward to this. And he's got, you know, the, the people coming to visit him, to, to talk with him uh, in Geneva. Uh, you know, you, you have to look at their track record. And it's led by um, an assistant secretary of state named Wendy Sherman, uh, who's a, she's a social worker uh, by trade. Uh, she was involved with the Clintons and Albright in Uh, getting the North Koreans to behave well, and we know how well that turned out. Then she negotiated uh, the the treaty, that agreement. It's not a treaty at all. Uh, She uh, negotiated that deal with the Iranians back in the Obama era that handed over some billions of dollars in exchange for really a promise to do nothing, whilst admitting that Iranians were still going to engage in terrorism all over the place. Uh, That was quite a success. Uh, and then she recently went to China and, um, you know, the the Chinese said they wiped the floor with her. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, this would be a bit like getting on an airplane and the pilot gets on and says, well, I've crashed three times over the last 20 years, but today we're going to have a really good flight. Uh, so I don't think the, the Russians are all that concerned about you know, having to deal with Team Biden. Uh, and it's unfortunate. That, but you never know. You know, I could we could all be very surprised with uh, what happens. But it's just very hard. You know, once you've got a reputation as patsies, uh, to turn that around, uh, and you know, so we'll see. You know, but also as part of the the deal here, you know, it seems that maybe the Americans realized what a mistake they had made by agreeing to talk to the Russians without the Europeans, without Ukraine. 
so what they did is they arranged that in the few days afterwards, uh, NATO and the Russians will meet, and then a few days afterwards, something called the OSCE, offer, uh, it's the, the Europeans, are going to get together and meet with the Russians. And the Ukraine Ukrainians can join in that last meeting. But it's like 50 people there, and it isn't like any serious negotiations are being, to done, being done. So this was a, an, just a huge faux pas on the American part. And you know, I think they're walking into uh, whatever Putin wants that Mr. Putin wants them to walk into. Give me your thoughts on the Nord 2 um, deal. Um, uh, um, becoming more dependent on Russia, you see you know, different analysis of it. Um, you know, it's uh, some of it's almost comical. Uh, it reminds me of, you know, the, the same argument about China. You know, once we're more economically tied to them, you know, we're going to see a decrease in, you know, they'll be more integrated into the economic life of, of Europe, blah, 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 blah. Well, um, that's part. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Oh, well, that's part of it is, you know, a friend of mine was just up in Hamburg uh, and, you know, he was whilst talking to Germans and these are, you know, these were sensible people that they were convinced that the Russians would never use gas and oil as a uh, as a weapon <laughs> because they need the money. I mean, they were convinced of this and the people that he talked to. And, you know, we look at it and we see, well, man, this is crazy. But, you know, it is uh, an article of faith in some parts of Europe and that European that ruling class that should know better. So, you know, they somehow think that these economic ties uh, will moderate Russian behavior. Uh, but there's also an aspect of this, and we've probably talked about it before, that that Nord Stream 2 pipeline deal uh, that does put Europe at complete uh, sort of risk of being cut off by the Russians. In fact, the Russians have already apparently reduced uh, oil and gas supplies uh, to Europe uh, already, and that's before right. the Nord, Nord Stream gets on. <laughs> so this just adds to the dependence, uh, the right? We'll make yeah, you more dependent so we can do more of this. Yeah, and and, and then yep. and then Grant, it's it's um, honestly it's astounding, but what you just said, right? You see this in action, and then you see people stand up and say, "No, they won't do that," and it's just like. And you know, the Biden administration had a chance to, sort of, force the Europeans not to approve this thing, right? And they let it go ahead. Uh, you know, and there was all that talk about collusion allegedly with Mr. Trump and the Russians. My goodness, this is a strange thing to do. Um, also, you know, one, th one of these things that keeps it can never be said too often because it's so brazen is there was a, a Russian or excuse me, a German uh, president or prime minister, whatever they have, uh, named Gerhard Schroeder, uh, back of wise. And that back when the Nord Stream pipeline deal was in the works, uh, it's like the day after he left office, he went to work for the Russian company, <laughs> Gazprom, that's behind this. And literally, it, it's like that um, Australian guy who went to work for the Chinese <laughs> shortly after the port of Darwin was uh, put under, sold to Chinese interests. Uh, and you think, well, certainly. Now, now for, for those of you out. who thinks, just so you know, for those of you that listen to the program, if you think Grant's overstating this, right, he's not. <laughs> He's it, not. It, no, this stuff writes itself. And um, <laughs> but so w what do you say? And that you know, it doesn't look good. And yet, did anybody scream bloody murder about this? No. 
Not really. In, in neither case, actually. People did mention it and complain here and there, but it wasn't like people said, holy cow, what a what a rascal, you know, get rid of this, you know, do something about this. No, and it's all played out over the last decade or so. Uh, so now they've built this pipeline, and it's probably going to come into the into operation. Uh, and there we are. So what you the thing, with Ukraine, what we're waiting to see is, uh, to me at least, you know, I'm waiting to see what the Americans offer as an appeasement package, um, and if and what Mr. Putin, what the Russians do with it. You know, they, it might be so juicy that they say, well, thank you very much. We like this. And then they'll eat it and then digest it. And then it'll be back to bullying, the, not just bullying Ukraine, but breathing, threatening and slaughter uh, that they're going to go in. And this time they're going to take the eastern part of not just the eastern part, like the, but rather the eastern half of Ukraine, if not more. And they're going to go all the way to the capital, Kiev, just go down from the north. And it's not very far. Uh, so we, we're all looking at the very east at these two little, two smaller areas, and uh, the Donbas region. That if you look at the whole map, and the Russians do, that there's at least a three-prong uh, approach that they could pull off, uh, and instead of sort of beating their way through the the main Ukrainian defenses. Uh, but so I think there is very, you know, we talked about this a while back, and I, I didn't really say what I thought. I think I said that I didn't think there would be a, a war. But I think that there just might be uh, this time. Uh, and it's... Uh, well, I would explain, give it a, explain to me that. So that the United States would give a... And, and Europe would give away, you know, half of Ukraine. And the Ukrainians would say, yeah, sorry, we're not doing it. Is that how, is that how the war starts? Uh, that's possible, but I think they would feel a bit like the Czechs in the 1938-39, where they don't think they've got any friends or anyone who's going to help them. Uh, that, you know, But you could have the, the fight, some fighting start that way. But I think it's as much that Putin, if he gets what he wants now, that he will have just such contempt for the Americans, for the Europeans, that he says, well, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do that. You know, I'm going to attack, you know, or move in. And I dare you to do something like Robert Conrad daring people to knock that battery off his shoulder. Uh, you'd have to be our age to understand that. But it, <laughs> I think he just might do that. Um, but also, you know, keep in mind, you never, he's a, a wily fellow. And, he, you know, we're all looking at Eastern Ukraine and, or maybe a big assault into Ukraine but you know, maybe he does something else to sort of throw people off balance, like declare uh, sort of um, sort of maritime areas that are uh, Ukrainian now, declare them to be Russian and thus cut off some access to Ukrainian ports, uh, and you just declare it and say you better not come in. So he might start it, you know, with something somewhere where we're not looking, that may be where the the pressure gets applied, and then when there is no response to that, you. You just gradually, bit by bit, like a you know a python strangling somebody, you just you strengthen your hold on these things, uh, and you if he can do that and he gets away with it, well nobody's nobody's done anything, uh, demoralizes the the good side and it uh, encourages the other side to keep moving, keep pressuring, and if necessary use force. You know move your people. You know just if you move some armored columns in and say we dare you to do something. And 
that you know is is not unthinkable. But it's the nature of these kind of people uh, is that they're not satisfied, and we we do have goodness like most of five thousand years of recorded history that tells us what these kind of people, these kind of regimes are like, that they are not satisfied uh, with a concession and they will always want more. And, you know, would he, maybe he would stop, you know, before he got to Paris, you know, in terms of his <laughs> demands. But one, uh, one, 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 the, one would hope that yeah. one would hope. I, it, it's just, again, um, weakness, right? And appeasing totalitarians is, is not a recipe for uh, anything, anything good. I mean, and all you have to do is read history, and and so it'll be. I don't know. It's just as you said. You know, you you've seen the people that have been involved in this. They're involved in this yet again, and you're looking for a different outcome. And uh, I think, by definition, that's the definition of insanity, right? That the same people are involved in it, same type of issues, and and you you think they're not going to, you know, sell it out. And so it's just. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, you've, I've read some of the uh, what the the comment the comments made by the Secretary of State uh, that have been on the record, you know, about you know what's going on with with Ukraine and Russia, and, and he you read these things and it's almost as if he's you know talking thinks he's talking to a child that you just don't know how to what you don't know what you're doing. This isn't how civilized people behave. You know, let's have a timeout. And let's, you know, talk, think about what you're doing, young man. And that isn't going to work with the Russians. But you do read it. And it, it's, you know, if the, the fight was going to be decided by who can debate better, or who can talk longest, uh, we might have the advantage. But th- you read the things and there's really, you see this and it, at least if, you know, I read one of these things and, and I was just left thinking, you know, we're either headed for colossal humiliation or more likely that war is coming because uh, they I think the other side will have nothing but contempt uh, for us you know so I'll be glad to be wrong but that's just my reaction to it uh, and you know so it's you know we'll, we'll see you know I was just thinking it would be helpful if Germany had a military don't you think <laughs> oh well those 200 tanks they've got presumably 100 of them work well that'll slow down the Russians uh, it, literally 200. They used to have 2,000 not that long ago. Uh, and they've got some problems. And the, there are Germans who are worried, you know, who are embarrassed by this and worried about it, but they don't quite have uh, the military wherewithal. But, and also they, you know, when you think of, when thinks about it, like we all know that if you have a, a powerful military or, you know, competent military, you're doing spending and doing what's necessary to maintain it, it suggests there's you know, that you've got some toughness, uh, that there's a political angle to all of this. And co- by the same token, uh, sort of a underfunded, just really just starved military like the Russians, the Germans have, uh, well, it suggests that you're not all that serious and you're not going to resist all that well. Uh, so that is part of the deal. And you do find that the Swedes and the Finns are... Uh, are not letting themselves being pushed around and they're, you know, they are talking tough and they've got something to back it up. There are, of course, only, there's not many of them, uh, but it's not like all Europeans are like that. They're all, there are some who are, you know, really concerned and want to uh, take a strong stance on this. Uh, but I think they are outvoted by the, the Germans and some of the others and Brussels writ large. 
All right. So we will uh, we will obviously keep our attention focused on that and see what. Uh, again, I just I I'm, you know, you uh, years ago you coined the phrase cautiously pessimistic uh, on the show, um, and then I I think I went you one better and said I am uh, pessimist I'm pessimist pessimistically pessimistic. Um, and, uh, I would, I would say that's where I'm at. I, I just don't see any, um, I don't see any thing to hang my hat on to say like, yeah, I have hope that, um, you know, that, that, that these people have shown that, you know, they're willing to, to confront them and, and whatnot. So, so. yeah, yeah. But also keep in mind, of course, that this started a while ago, say right. back in 2014, after the Sochi Olympics, uh, when Mr. Obama was yucking it up with Putin and others, uh, that shortly after what that, was he Russians, saying? I'll have a lot more. I'll have a lot more latitude after the election, right? Oh, that was another time. Oh, is this said a different to, time? Said it to the acting politician or acting president. No, no, the, I think it was the president or whatever it was. It was the guy oh, who yeah. was running tell, Russia. Tell Vladimir. He said, he said tell Vlad. Hey, that's the word he said, tell Vlad, like we're on, you know, tell Jimmy, you know, we're on, the, you know, those sort of short name basis is tell Vlad I'll have, uh, I think he said more flexibility after the election. So if you can, thus, if you can wait uh, until the election, and then if I get reelected, then I will sell out the East Europeans by removing missile defense uh, systems or they will cancel them. And wow, you know, you, you he got away with it, but that, you know, think of, you know, I don't need to explain the significance of that. Um, but he said it to the guy who was the, the president of Russia, prime minister. Was it Medvedev? Is that who I he think said it, it was, yeah, yeah. Medvedev. And, uh, and it, but of course, that guy's, you know, if, if I was in the same country as Mr. Putin, I'm pretty sure I'd be his <laughs> puppet too. Um, but that's, you know, who he was. You know, Mr. Uh, well, Putin was calling the shots, of course, but right. you have our our president say that. So this is, you know, this is built up over some time. And the Trump administration, the one that was allegedly in Russia's pocket, they are the ones who actually did try to support the Ukrainians more uh, and stand up to the Russians and to get the force, the Europeans to actually defend themselves. And they actually did that. Now we're back to you know, what we had during the Obama administration. Uh, and we'll see how this plays out. And it's, you know, it is troubling because it, of course, ties into, you know, when the U.S. and the free world is looks weak and confused and not knowing what to do, it uh, others around the world notice it too. Uh, well, so let's talk about that. Let's, uh, uh, closer to you. Um, but there it has been, interestingly enough, there has been a nation that has stood up to China. So let's let's talk about that a little bit. Um, so here we have this this northern European nation that essentially just tells China just tells China to go to hell. Um, so give me your thoughts about that. Um, the world's watching. They will be certainly punished by the Chinese. But uh, give me your thoughts on that. What is the significance of this? Um, which nation is this? What is it? Uh, is it Lithuania? Oh, we're still in Europe. Okay. Yes, yeah, yeah, it was the Lithuanians. <laughs> um, 
uh, you know, basic, you know, it's kind of what they did. You know, they said, we're going to be friends with, uh, with Taiwan. We're going to sort of upgrade our relationship with Taiwan. And knowing that the, the Chinese were not going to respond, and that's what they did. So the Chinese have come after them, of course. And the, the support from the Americans hasn't been as forth, you know, as um, demonstrative, or it's not been what you'd like to think it was. Uh, but yeah, this little country did kind of tell the, uh, the Chinese to get lost. Uh, now we'd like to see all of these countries, these Eastern European countries, get out of this so-called 17 plus one arrangement that they signed a few years back when everyone was at that Belt and Road love fest uh, with the Chinese. So it'd be nice to see some people drop out of that. And the, the Czechs have also, uh, and even the Slovaks, have actually um, shown some backbone towards the, the Chinese. So it is these smaller nations that have, you know, have in Emb- fact... Embarrassing everybody else. Kind of. It's in, the, in, the, in Asia, it's, of course, the Australians are the ones who uh, you know, stood, up, stood up first to the, uh, the Chinese communists and have lived to tell about it. And that ought to be, the, I think, the, one of the important things to take from that is that if you do it, it doesn't have to be the end of the world. You know, one does remember you know, back 30 years ago when you know, before you know, all the business uh, flooded into China, before everyone felt they had to be in China. Remember, the world wasn't all that bad back then. Uh, it was a pretty good life. And uh, you know, it wasn't like a howling wasteland like people would have you believe, but it was the world was fine without China and it could be fine without them again. And most countries, I think they'd be surprised just how well they can get along uh, without the without the Chinese. Uh, so, yeah, but but, but, we'll, but but yeah, Grant, like, and you know, you said the most dangerous course of action for the Chinese is for the rest of the world to act in concert, and and you know, here you have the smaller nations. Right, standing up and, and, and honestly and embarrassing the larger industrial nations of, of the world. And again, the larger industrial nations have more to lose. And, you know, the, their own versions of Wall Street all over the world are, are, I'm sure, scream at them constantly. You cannot do this. You cannot do this. Um, but it, but it, it is amusing to see a nation like Lithuania stand up and say, oh, no, we can't do that. And we yeah. will. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so, so interesting. I want to talk a little bit about North Korea. Um, North Korea now, once again, uh, is is launching um, intercontinental ballistic missiles. There can I, I assume it's simply the continuation of their test program. But you know, you've been pretty. Um, um, I don't know, consistent and saying, yeah, you know, the North Koreans don't do anything without their sponsor pointing at them and saying, right, cue the music. Um, so explain to me what's going on. And di- I did not know this, but it was good to hear. And, you know, to this little piece of trivia that uh, um, Kim Jong-un's father invented the burrito. Did you see that? Oh, I didn't know. Oh, yeah. But, um... I did not know that either, but evidently that's yeah. the case. Wow. Yeah, who knew? No. I, so he's like a cultural appropriator. Um, I think we should um, give him a call. But, uh, I, had no, I had no idea. But I, I do like burritos. So if I'm ever forced to say something like positive 
about North Korea. About a, about a dictator. Get, yeah, yeah. Uh, this will be the thing. But, he was a horrible uh, human being, but he did invent the burrito. Oh, I like it. Did he invent salsa? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Pro possibly. I'll have to film at 11. Film at 11. Yeah. But what do you make of, once again, we deal, we, we deal with this again? Yeah, it's, the, it's the, the North Koreans doing what they always do. And it's to make sure that, you know, they do get attention. And you know, if they keep at it, they perhaps uh, might reasonably believe they will eventually wear down uh, the Americans. And the Americans will offer them some sanctions relief uh, in order to talk for nothing more than just offer to talk. The current South Korean administration would love to have the Americans offer sanctions relief and talk uh, and even better declare that we think the war is over. Uh, but this, this recent test that the North Koreans did is it's interesting uh, because it, you know, it's a ballistic missile, perhaps hypersonic as well. But it points out that just how this uh, the, the trend line for North Korean missile and nuclear development, it just it's it's upwards. It takes a while. But it, what they are facing is an engineering problem. And that's all it is. And over time, they will get the ability to. Uh, shoot things farther and more accurately. And uh, if it's the hypersonic stuff, there'll be things we have a much harder time tracking and knocking down. Uh, but it's interesting to me that one of the interesting things, and as I don't quite know the answer, in fact, I don't know the answer, is you know, they did it not long before the Winter Olympics are coming in Beijing. And, you know, I think the Chinese might be a little bit irked about this. Uh, because they, you know, to have North Korea shooting off missiles uh, while there's Chinese COVID viruses running around uh, the PRC, there's these partial boycotts the Americans and a few others have put on, that it's just one more thing that kind of upsets the neighborhood uh, before this event that the Chinese have coming. And what it, I think it gets across is that the Chinese... Uh, don't have complete control over North Korea, except in the ultimate sense that if they turned off the oil, the thing would be finished in an afternoon. Um, and the North Koreans don't care all that much for the Chinese. There is a resentment. They don't like them that much. So North Korea does do things that the, the Chinese don't always like. Um, but at the same time, if China really didn't like it, what you would see is the border closing completely. Right. Uh, and you would see Chinese financial institutions no longer doing business with China. You would see uh, these Korean coal exports and the, the fuel, uh, the, the fuel smuggling into North Korea. That would all stop if China was really angry about this. So that tells you uh, plenty that Chinese may not have said, like, shoot it off on uh, next Monday. But uh, at the same time, they're not really expressing much displeasure over this. Uh, so, you know, that North Korea, the Korean-China relationship is, uh, it, it's worth, you know, I suppose you'd say there's nuance to it. Because um, they, fundamentally, there is a resentment to it, uh, but in there. But they, with this, they, the North Koreans sometimes you know, uh, know that they've got a pretty good hand to play with China as well. In the sense that they are the one force the one sort of like the country that uh, 
keeps things stirred up on the Korean Peninsula in Northeast Asia, and also keeps the Americans from focusing uh, on, say, Taiwan and on, say, what the Chinese are doing with India or in the South China Sea, because we have to, we're divert, we're di uh, sort of we're distracted uh, by what happens on the Korean Peninsula, and we have to deal with that. So it, uh, that for the the North Koreans know that that capability is almost priceless, and it does put a limit on what the Chinese will do uh, to crack down on them. That's how I see it. Got it. Um, it's been kind of interesting watching the way the Chinese are getting ready to, for the Olympics. They've like completely locked down. Um, uh, what is it? The Tajin um, province. Uh, I'm not exactly sure if that's the right one, but I mean, the, the story's coming out that people couldn't go get food and they were mm -hmm. all kinds of craziness. Um, talk to us about your thoughts um, relative to China, the Olympics, the world spotlight falling on them at this time after COVID. Um, is this not going to be the love fest that China thought it would be or hopes it would be? Well, I mean, how do you think this all plays out? Oh, goodness. Well, I'd say that they've masterfully played the, the COVID thing, you know, by seeding it worldwide. Uh, the Chinese reaction to it uh, you know, we, as you pointed out in that province, Xi'an, or X-I-A-N, or that's how it's spelled, uh, that they did literally lock everybody inside. You couldn't even go out to get a burrito. Uh, and, they, so, you know, but I thought that, you know, didn't they announce that they had defeated, how many times has the Communist Party announced they have defeated the COVID virus? Uh, they, you know, from the very shortly after it broke out, they announced they had suppressed it. And you know, it's, it keeps something keeps breaking out here and there in in China, uh, but the, you know that said, you know, they will they will play it up as they need to, or they will ignore it and demand that people ignore it as they need to as well. Uh, if it you know if it was all that serious, they would sort of close down all their businesses and stop their export trade and seal off the country. You'll notice they haven't done that. Uh, and that, so what the, the Chinese, that gives you some sense of what the Chinese intentions are, and that is to keep going full speed ahead uh, with this economic uh, domination uh, of the, the world. And also, built, has, have they stopped building up their military owing to COVID? No. In fact, they've, you know, the, now they are outbuilding the Americans shipwise by about seven to one. So for every one we launch, they launch about seven. Uh, a couple of years ago, it was about four to one. So they're just, it's going full steam ahead. I think having the Olympics is going to restrain their behavior and that once those are done, uh, then stand by. I think it is, it's going to get uh, pretty rough in Asia uh, after that. Um, <clears throat> do I think they're going to start a war? I, I don't know. Uh, but I think they are really going to start throwing their weight around uh, once this election, once the Olympics are over. And, you know, it, this will also play into, you know, what they see happen or it will be sort of shaped by what they see happen with the Russians uh, and the I mean, Americans. I was, was going to ask you that because to me that is the playbook, right? We, we will have them hand us Taiwan. We, we don't have to fight for it. I mean, come on. I mean, first of all, it would, it would wreak havoc on, on us economically if we did that. Um, uh, if the world embargoed us for any you know, significant length of time, it would 
you know, and, and uh, it's, I mean, it's not like we're Russia, like we don't have an economy other than oil. I mean, you know, it's not like we're that country. We, we would pay a significant price for that. And so, but I mean, to me, uh, that's, that's the page to watch. Watch Vladimir Putin does it, do this as he plays them against themselves. As, as they vomit all over themselves, giving up things, you know, on essentially him just, you know, parking troops in an area. And, uh, and uh, again, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, Grant, I, the idea of going to war um, obviously doesn't appeal to anybody. But I, I just, you know, I, I, what does it take for the West to stand up for itself? It's like, are, are we not that? Are we not that people anymore? Are we not the people that say, hey, look, the Ukrainian people have the right to determine what happens to their nation? Um, you would think so. Uh, you know, I, it's, you know, perplexing. You know, I don't, you know, you wish we would know better because we've seen how this works out. But there's right. a quote I've seen somewhere uh, recently, and it's like, it's to the effect that when, uh, say, the, the the nations of the world, when their main interest is in avoiding war, that the country that is willing, most willing to go to war, has the advantage. Right. And but if everything you everything we do is geared on the idea that we just cannot afford a war, we can't do it, we won't defend ourselves, we won't defend other people who deserve defending because fighting is just too bad, then. The, those countries that uh, don't mind killing people, they have the advantage, and they always have uh, historically. And so, you know, I don't you know, quite know how this is going to play out. But you will see, of course, you'll see the more. But again, I think your point though was that. But make no mistake, the Chinese are watching now. Years ago, there was this thing called the domino theory, right? Yeah. That you know. As these nations fall around the world, and you know that's why we have to go to Vietnam because of the domino theory of, of communism. You know, well, um, I don't know the domino theory of totalitarianism uh, as it runs into weakness uh, will only embolden, you know, a uh, a dictator. And, and so uh, today it's uh, it's Taiwan and Ukraine. Tomorrow it's what some of Australia. Some of Australia's territories or Japan's, you know, the Senkaku mm -hmm. Islands to me would be next logically all of, all of the South China Sea. And you just, you sat there and gave it to them. Mm -hmm. Or even, you know, could you, it could be, uh, there's any number of possibilities, you know, like grabbing, uh, say, some chunks of Indian territory. Well, uh, how about me? Well, how about me throwing the Senkaku Islands out there, though? That's pretty, that's pretty advanced oh, yeah. shit, right? Most, most Americans don't know how to throw that one out. You taught me that. Oh, can you say it in the Chinese? The Chinese have a name for it, too. I would yeah. say it if I knew what it was. No, it, no I, I, I know what it is. It, oh, yeah, how about this? You. Mm -hmm. it's, it's oh, go ahead. It's called China. Oh, okay. Well, they have another <laughs> name, but that's okay. But know that you're, you know, there's, say, so you're very, you pass. <laughs> Thank um, you. But, you know, they could do something like just formally announce America, stay out of the South China Sea or it is war. You know, we have passed laws that this is Chinese territory. We have passed laws saying that we will shoot at intruders. Come and get it. And at that, you know, what do you do at that point? It's, so there's a number well, of places. There, you know, you can go to war, uh, but mm -hmm. that a nation that's, that's rolled over that many times probably won't. And then yeah. you look at how did we get there? 
Well, you know, The Hague, or the, wait, what is it? The Law of the Sea Court, I, wherever the hell that is, right, made a ruling that was never enforced, right? It was just kind of looked at, oh, you know, we don't really want to make things that kind of difficult. Yeah. I mean, you know, and and so how do you get there? Well, it's you've looked away so many times. What you've done is you've told them how you will react. And now all of a sudden yeah. you're going to say, okay, this is the line in the sand. They'll yeah. laugh at you. They'll laugh at you. Um, as, as, and again, and you're seeing it now uh, from, you know, from the Western perspective, you're seeing it to your left and you're seeing it to your right. Mm-hmm. And so you know, what, that, do we, what do we do? You know, what you just mentioned, and it's worth remembering because it, it kind of gives us a sense of what's coming, uh, is you'd mentioned the, that ruling by the, the permanent court of arbitration at The Hague. That's what us uh, sophisticates will say. Uh, it was back in 2016. And it said what the Chinese had done to basically steal Philippine maritime territory was illegal in every respect, and that the Chinese claims to the South China Sea were similarly ridiculous. Uh, and the ruling was just overwhelmingly against China. And usually these rulings will split the difference and everybody gets something. China got nothing. And after this ruling came out in 2016, the American, I think it was the Chief of Naval Operations and the National Security Advisor, uh, Susan Rice, went to Beijing and they did not mention the permanent court's ruling. They didn't mention it. And they, did, they didn't mention it because they didn't want to embarrass the Chinese and they thought the Chinese would appreciate this favor. Now, the guy who was you know, on the U.S. side that gets the credit for basically selling out the Filipinos uh, back when they were begging for our help under the defense treaty was a guy named Kurt Campbell. And Kurt Campbell is now, he, at the time, uh, if, you know, I think he was at State Department. Uh, he was at State Department. Uh, and, you know, he basically sold them out. And they, he is now back in the Biden administration as the National Security Council, Council's head of Asia Indo-Pacific Affairs. Of course. He's the so-called Asia Tsar. And he said the other day at something, uh, an event put on by the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. Uh, that was a sort of a, a hard right think tank, of course. No, I'm joking. He said, I think everyone recognizes that the most important element of the next 10 years is to bring China more into the global framework (laughs) associated with climate. So what matters more than anything is to make sure we get Chinese cooperation on climate change. Well, I think you can figure out what the Chinese will hear full speed ahead, uh, that these people don't have the the spine to stand up to us. and then he also said, you know, but what about, you know, when people said, well, what about like China's human rights record? Uh, he said, um, it's, it is important to approach that with humility for the Americans by recognizing that America's record on both human rights and democracy is not perfect. So you, 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 here, here. I don't, you hardly know what to say if maybe they have some candid photographs. Uh, of him. You know, I, I don't know. But you hear that. And how are we going to prevail if that's the thinking? Is that we need their cooperation on almost fill in the blank, but here it's climate change, which uh, they have no intention of cooperating on, but they're glad to have us kill our economy to do it. But we're not, that is going to have priority over taking them on this, this military, this economic, this political warfare onslaught. Uh, 
that's the most important thing. And then we're not going to raise that issue of taking organs out of live prisoners, uh, the, the organ harvesting, the black prisons, the concentration camps, the complete absence of rule of law. Well, that doesn't matter because we have to have humility because America's not perfect. Well, you, you don't see two million people, you know, trying to get into this, uh, into the United, into China, like they're trying to get into the United States. If you gave the entire world green cards, probably, you know, seven eighths of the population would move here tomorrow. Uh, but here we are. We we can't raise. We can't say these things to the Chinese. So it, it's rare. You know, I don't like to say it, but it's rare that one guy can make so have such a lay claim to having caused so much harm to U.S. national interests uh, as this guy can. But if that's the thinking, uh, you know, you know, God help us. And even even the commandant's scheme of putting small marine units here and there in the Asian Pacific isn't going to do us much good. Um, so it's uh, it's still early, so I haven't burnt off my day's quote of resentment, <laughs> but I've just about done. So the next thing I'm going to say is very nice, so whatever that is. All right, well, let's let's try that. So what's the next thing you're going to write? Uh, I, I thought I'd, I'd like write, write something like a uh, 1,200 words on what's coming in 2022. Oh, and, you're going to get your crystal ball out? Well, kind of, but I'm going to do it like I usually do as a, uh, well, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> Might happen. Yeah, yeah Putin uh, might. You know, it uh, that'll maybe. I might do a little more than that. But I, um, if I was getting like six thousand bucks an hour, then I would. Boy, I would. Um, I'd say I'd be adding swear to God to uh, <laughs> all of my uh, comments. That, um, but I, since mm -hmm. I'm doing it for free, that I'm gonna. You know, I've always got this uh, great inferiority complex. But I really don't know what what's going to happen. I, I may have some general ideas, and sometimes I know for sure. You tend to traffic in the truth, though, which makes you substantially different than most. <laughs> um, uh, and you know, and the sad part is the world is coming to you, right? You used to be this like, oh yeah, that's that Newsom guy out there in the Pacific, right? Now you're being quoted in the Wall Street Journal for God's sakes. Yeah, so. but I, I I don't get invited to things. Well, well, of course not, because, yeah. you know, when you, the, the invitation, the collegial things and all the rest of that stuff, you might stand up and make create an awkward moment and they don't really want that. You know, they just want a couple of people to present. And and, and we, we need obviously we need a big headliner. The last thing you need is somebody like, you know, throwing vodka all over the place and, and saying the F word and uh, and telling the truth. Right. I mean, who needs oh, that? that? Uh Okay, I think you're right. Yeah, but no, it's so uh, there's this thing. That, it's funny. It's called the Mount Fuji dialogues, and it's like the Davos of uh, uh, sort of the of Japan. Well, you know, and, handicap these things. So, um, the Shangri La dialogues, yes. Um, uh, oh yeah, down Singapore. Yeah, yeah uh -huh. I mean, what is the premier security dialogue or forum in the Pacific? Oh, anything that gives you a first-class plane ticket and a, <laughs> and a stay at the Shang a Shangri-La. Uh, that, goodness, I think the Shangri-La Dialogues is the, the one. The premiere. Uh, yeah, but the Japanese have this thing called the Mount Fuji Dialogues, and they've had it for a little while, not that long. And I never get invited. Um, I, every year they seem to lose my invitation. Um, <laughs> you know, and I've done like a little bit, uh, probably more than 99.9% .9 of Japanese to help them defend themselves. 
uh, with that amphibious effort we did. And uh, but they never invite me. And I, it's uh, that, that's always the secret, actually, is if you if you do get invited, do they invite you back? Ah. Uh, and, and I don't have a well, actually I do get invited here and there. And but, but uh, just not invited back. No, I do, but I sometimes I often get invited back, but not I'm not like what you would call an A-lister, I think. Yeah, for, but if you're an like, A-lister, all the A-listers do is perpetuate the status quo. Well, I can be a yes man just as much as anyone. No, they, no, no. You've if, written if, about if, the you've <laughs> written about too much about the Japanese organized crime. Okay, no, they I know who you I, are. Yeah, I can't help myself. Like, no, you're like a dog licking yourself. You just can't just, help it. Yeah, it's my East European mother to blame for this. <laughs> too many consonants, too many consonants in the last name, and the eyes set a little bit too wide apart in the head. Oh, and the hatreds of, you name it, you know, <laughs> exactly. that last for centuries that I've got them all. What about, uh, okay, so you're going to write a, uh, a, a predictor piece. Can you give us give us one thing you will predict about? You don't have to give us a predict prediction. Give us a one one thing you'll predict about. Oh boy, what is that? You know, the, the easy one is that China isn't gonna stop. Um, that it is this pressure is going to build up, and they are going to do more things in more places, and that. We'd better if we'd either get ready or better just acquiesce. And but I think one thing that really worries me a lot that doesn't get any attention is when you go down the Pacific Islands. Just get out the map and go down practically every one. Right. The Chinese influence is such that they are within uh, really, I, I would say, months almost, if they feel like it, of locking up just about every island in the Pacific, and that includes these so-called Kofa states. You know, the Micronesia, Palau, um, and um, the third Marshall Islands that we have this treaty, America thinks that we have it locked up with treaties with them. That it's that Chinese sort of eroding of the, the basis of our presence and our support in the region that I think is really in a very, very dangerous position. Uh, that, and I think that within the next year or two, we're going to see, I think, more of the results of that. Uh, so that's something that, that doesn't get a, a whole lot of attention uh, with that. But they've locked up Latin America, for crying out loud. I think there's almost nothing left. Uh, just uh, it, You're just impressed with what they've been able to do, and it's happened uh, without the Americans doing much to, to stop it. So I think we're seeing that. And that affects, you know, you, you look at, you know, this, you know, you know what's, you know, since, you know, we're all Marines, that, you know, you think of the Commandant's scheme for defending uh, in the Asia Pacific, and well, where exactly are you going to put these Marines uh, when the Chinese have gotten everywhere? I, I know they're inside the WEZ. Oh yeah, they're in the WEZ. They're yeah. in the WEZ. And if you haven't read, that's where they're at. You know, they'll be running for their lives <laughs> if anyone even lets them in. Uh, you know, it. And that, I've actually got a, a piece in the works on that that particular issue. Because uh, there's some interesting background about who them. about who will have us, who will let us in. Yeah, and you know how we got into this uh, fine situation the, where uh, we have to, where we're begging for people to host us because we got booted out of all these countries. Well, we, we it um, it's not a pleasant story, and I. Well, and and here's another. Yeah. I'm I'm trying to ease you out of here, but this is not working very well. Oh, okay, sorry. so I have two more questions for you. Um, 
One is uh, last week, uh, China and a whole series of uh, Western Pacific nations announced tariffs uh, were being eliminated over the course of time, blah, 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 blah. And so once again, I'll, you know, I'm thinking, why don't we have either bilateral agreements or a trans-Pacific partnership or something, anything? But Grant, correct me if I'm wrong. There is no major economic initiative in the Western Pacific. And you here you have China, you know, putting one together. Yeah. yeah, well, that's the RCE. Yeah, it, it's you've said it. And you know, I think that a lot of it has to do, you know, and it's sort of a broad statement is that nobody is responsible for actually producing things. Is that, you know, you get a job for the State Department or Commerce or government, whatever in the you know, defense, wherever you don't really have to do anything in terms of showing results. And so there's nobody that's actually going to get fired if we don't have, you know, some sort of competing um, economic sort of power or in, in the region. So there's, yeah, we do have these initiatives that start with nice press conferences, but you don't really have to produce. And, and when you look at, say, resumes or of the, particularly the top dogs, that they all talk about positions they have held. And I think that some, the only thing allowed should be what have you accomplished? And that's often a much shorter list and less impressive than the positions actually held. So, you know, I don't know of anything, you know, positive I would say about that. Uh, it's, but that is, you, you've laid out, a, that's actually one of the things I was going to mention in 2022 is that, uh, you know, the, um, you know, we're sending our money and technology and, you know, jobs to to China while they're sending us fentanyl and killing about a hundred thousand of us a year, right. and nobody seems to care. I I, uh, I just I I don't I don't I for life me it is the single greatest foreign policy question that confounds me, and the Trump administration. Um, okay, I got it. You don't like the TPP. You like bilateral agreements, so execute them. Number one with the Philippines. Americans in the Philippines changes the whole equation, you know, mm -hmm. Vietnam, Malaysia, any of those countries that will that will have you make a deal with them and give yeah. them sweetheart deal. Why do we give a shit if it's built in China or if it's built in Vietnam? American consumers won't, but our national interests will. Yeah. And so I don't. Oh, I just got too excited to knock my microphone over. I I, I don't understand that. Okay, all right. Um, so we will. When do you think you'll you'll publish this thing? Oh, I'd, I'd hope to next week. I, like I um, like if there's like an, if China invited me to the Olympics for the uh, procrastination <laughs> competition, oh, you would be the I, gold medalist. I, nobody else should even bother showing up because uh, it, it would be Newsham at the top of the thing, and there wouldn't be anyone else. So, so it was supposedly done a couple of days ago. Well, I mean, you and this Hemingway lifestyle that you lead. I mean, it's understandable. So I mean, I I, I understand it. I yeah, understand. Me and, a, me and a Martha Gellhorn. I mean, these parties <laughs> exactly. we're having at 72 Cadogan exactly. Square in London. We're, uh, I mean, you know, I've only got so much time. I only have so much bandwidth. So how's that for an excuse? The, wow, that was that was impressive. The um, I want to ask you a military history question. Some friends and I, I was cleaning out my garage over the course of the last few days. 
And uh, I kept running through stuff. And um, and I want to read you one of my, um, this is uh, a quote from T.R. Fehrenbach, oh, yeah. uh, his book, This Kind of War. Uh, the following is a description of the Marines who something to fight in Korea, who came to fight in Korea, quote, and these men walked with a certain confidence and swagger. They were only young men like those about them in Korea, but they were conscious of a standard to live up to because they had been, they had had good training and it had been impressed upon them that they were United States Marines. Except in holy wars or in defense of their native soil, men fight well only because of pride and training, pride in themselves and their service, enough training to absorb the real blows of war and to know what to do. Few men of any breed really prefer to kill or be killed. These Marines had a pride in their service, which had been carefully instilled in them, and they had pride in themselves because each man had made the grade in a hard occupation. They would not lightly let down their comrades, and they had discipline, which in essence is the ability not to question orders, but to carry them out as intellectually as possible. Fehrenbach, throughout his book, contrasts the Marines and the retention of discipline to the Army and how the Army was not prepared for Korea. Um, the, the last paragraph says this, Marine human material was not one bit better than that of the human societies from which it came, but it had been hammered into, into form in a different forge, hardened with a different fire. The Marines were the closest thing to the legions the nation had. They would follow their colors from the shores of home to the seacoast of Bohemia and fight well in either place. Now, I want to read you my favorite quote about Marines. Of all the things I've ever read about Marines, this is my favorite quote. And it's attributed to the chaplain of the 1st Marine Division um, in Korea, right? Morale among Marines in the perimeter was as high as if they were fresh from triumph. Father Kevin Keeney, a division chaplain, sketched them. You cannot exaggerate about the Marines. They are convinced to the point of arrogance that they are the most ferocious fighters on the earth. And the amusing thing about it is that they are. You should see the group that is about me as I write. Dirty, bearded, their clothing food spattered and filthy. They look like the casts off of creation. Yet they have a sense of loyalty, generosity, and even piety greater than any men I have ever known. These rugged men have the simple piety of children. You can't help loving them in spite of their language and their loose sense of private <laughs> their loose sense of private property. Don't ever feel sorry for a priest in the Marines. The last eight weeks have been the happiest and most content of my life. So here's the question to you. Um, the Marine Corps that went to Korea, was that the greatest version of the Marine Corps ever in your history? Your historical opinion, the Marine Corps of 1944 and 1945 was pretty good. I mean, the fighting on Iwo Jima and then maybe even, you know, much, much longer uh, by months, the fighting on Okinawa um, certainly tested uh, the Marines of, uh, of that went to the Pacific. Uh, so just just an opinion question. Um, do you have one? Huh. Well, I think every Marine does. Um 
you know, they, I, we could probably talk about it for like an hour at the, the Globe and Laurel next time we uh, show up there. But the, uh, you know, we all do. And but I think and, and I, you know, being serious about it, I think that, you know, I probably since, you know, going back, say, World War One, that um, I think it's the same quality that now that we had then or at any time in between. And I, I really do, I, you know, at the, the top leadership level, that's, you know, I think we've always been, um, the quality made uh, sort of dilute itself a bit, but at the, the troop level, the young officer level, that I th so I think today's Marine is uh, just as good as at any time in the, the past. It's just a, my sense of it, you know, given the, the opportunities to, perform and the right leadership that you know, I think the, the the difference between Marines who say got into the boats at Peleliu and the ones today, I, I don't think there's much difference uh, at all. It's, you know, often a question of leadership, how they're employed. Uh, but it, it is that, that that psychological aspect to it all that I find really interesting um, that, you know, does account for so much of the, um, the ability to succeed, uh, perform. Uh, you know, one thing about Korea that's not well known is that a number of those Marines who went right away hadn't gone to basic training, yet somehow that they were able to sort of, they were able to plug into a unit and they got them to where they could uh, perform. I say that's not well known. I think it no, just makes most the people, thing more. Most people, that, that when you say that, they look at you and they say, yeah, they went to recruit training on boats on their way. Uh, initially to Japan, um, what is it, the Patton tank that the, the Marines fought with, the M26, I think, because they had the Shermans left over from World War II, if I'm not mistaken, and they were given, I think it's the Patton. Um, it has a horizontal muzzle brake at the end of it. That's how I always recognize mm -hmm. it. But um, they were given those tanks on the docks in San Diego. They, I, I didn't, yeah. Yeah, and they, they got in them, and, and they – they did, you know, gun drill essentially in them on the way over. They first drove them at baseball stadiums in Tokyo. And that's how they that's how they got to know their tanks before they went ashore, before they went ashore uh, during the Incheon landing. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, yeah. you and you hear these stories and you're like, what? And then you hear the stories about you know, and some of these guys. I want to say, like, uh, in the Medal of Honor winner. His first name's Hector, and I wish, it, but he was, uh, you know, he was those, like one of those Fox, you know, two seven guys. But I mean, he was in the Marine Corps for like four months. They flew him, they put him on a mm -hmm. train, they brought him to the West Coast. He got on a boat. He 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 went to recruit training on the boats on the way over, right? He went ashore on Womido Island, then went uh, over the seawall at Inchon, and then fought up to the Chosen Reservoir, got wounded, and then got. Then got sent home. He's home in four months and did all that. And you're like, holy shit. And I think so, yeah. and I think mm -hmm. was the recipient yeah. in the middle of autumn. Yeah, well this thing that psychological aspect to it. You know, I was in the when the years ago when the first Marine Brigade sort of loaded up their MPS ships down in Panama City, Florida. There was a local car dealer guy, a guy named Tommy Thompson, who was a big deal in, you know, Bay County, Florida. You know, and then you know, larger than littler than life, he's larger than life, but he was a short fella. But he had been a Marine in Korea and World War II. And as I recall, he, you know, he had been a sergeant. And, you know, when Korea came, you know, he had, he, you know, he told of how they had kind of um, got themselves together to get to the West Coast. 
that you know they had act so much of it was done on the fly by Marines taking the initiative uh, to get there, and it was just um, you know impressive. I would also note the um, when Korea uh, General O. P. Smith, uh, who saved the Marines, and I would suggest saved the entire Marine Corps. Uh, uh, at the Chosin Reservoir doesn't get anywhere near the attention that he deserves right. when reading about, say, famous Marine generals. But he's one that I would suggest anyone uh, who's interested in knowing um, really about, the, I'd say, the, one of the finest Marine officers ever, as well and, worth and you, and uh, you know what, reading Grant, about. And I would tell you, um, um, when you look at that campaign, I mean, he was under, it's not like he was doing this not at the peril of what people would say um, or, um, I mean, he was doing it at his own peril because people were pissed at him because he was not drinking the Kool-Aid, right? Mm -hmm. He was conducting a very, very deliberate, right, movement up towards the Chosin Reservoir. And it was because of his deliberate nature, the fact that he had his legs underneath him, his aviation underneath him, his logistics underneath him, that... You know, that was the reason that the first Marine Division got out of there in the first place. Mm -hmm. And oh, you're, yeah. you're you're right. Yeah. Opie Smith is. You know, you you think of you know the, you know of chosen reservoir. You know, Chesty Pollard. You know, Coterie mm -hmm. and all the rest of this stuff. You know, Opie Smith is the man in all of that. It, I think without him, I think the first Marine Division would have got vaporized, like happened to the Army, and the Marine Corps would have been disbanded uh, afterwards. Uh, that oh, wow. and he's a really an impressive guy. You know, it, his granddaughter, I think, wrote a book about him uh, just a few years ago that is is really good. And I've actually known, I've got a Marine friend whose dad knew him very well, uh, and just you know they have the highest respect for him. And he's it's a little bit be nice if he got more attention than he uh, he has. Uh, but he was treated pretty shabbily by the Marine Corps afterwards. That too is worth paying attention to. Um, but the last thing, Marine thing, it's uh, more recent. They, um, I read this thing by an, a U.S. Air Force guy. It was after the start of the Afghan business that when they grabbed Kandahar Air Base, um, that he, he was an air, some Air Force officer who'd been stuck with the Marines force that went in. And the Air Force guy said, uh, you know, I was, um, you know, I hope to never take a human life, but I was really glad to be surrounded by a thousand people who do. <laughs> <laughs> which really says says a lot and they you know i think there's no people i am more impressive with than young marines so uh, you're not going to vote in in jeff kenny's question about that that the marines that that was probably the finest edition of the marine corps ever you're going to beg off on that you're not going to offer well, well i would actually you're, you're going to say we're always great you're going to uh, well i I would disagree should I with should that. I marine should I hum the hymn? Oh, well, I think mm -hmm. the late. Mm -hmm. No, 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 no. The, I would say, well, actually, I think we <laughs> I would say that in general, I, I would disagree. Um, it's um, when we've had problems, it's been our own doing, and I would point to what I've heard about, like the, the '70s Marine Corps, that post Vietnam, you know, with the race riots and this right. and that. Right. That sound drug dealing, and that sounded terrible. Uh, so, but in terms of the that particular Korean bunch being the best, uh, I, I don't think I would disagree. I really think that in general the quality is very good. Uh, it's not, it's, I think quality is equal to that. Um, just my take on it. Say it's everyone you can debate this, but I, I really do believe that. And I remember thinking that same thing 
um, now and then over the years that there there's really no difference between, let's say, the Marines that got in the boats at Peleliu or Iwo Jima and the ones that you know we've got today in recent times. That's my take on it. Um, but I, I would give that Marine Corps of uh, the, the post of the early 70s, wow, that was, um, from what I hear, I'm glad to have missed it. And I think it was because of some uh, very dedicated officers and NCOs who stuck around that they were able to get over that and sort of clean the thing up. And, right. then, wow. but and, a, couple, really and is, a couple of good commandants who threw people out and said, I don't, what is, uh, yeah. was it Lou Waltz? Uh, I don't, I, I don't quote that says, I don't care if it's the uh, Sergeant major, my driver and me at the end of this, we're going to, we're going to clean this up. It was one of the Lou's uh, Wilson <laughs> or Walt. I'm not sure which, but I've well, heard. And then you had general, like then you had general Barrow after that. I mean, just giant, oh, yeah. giant mm-hmm. men yes. mm-hmm. um, who were not afraid. And, and so, yeah. uh, so anyway, all right. Well, Grant, first of all, uh, it's nice to talk to you again, and uh, I hope you have a fine day. Sure. And mm-hmm. uh, and we'll uh, so the next time you come on next week, um, if after, hopefully you pu- you've stopped procrastinating and you'll you'll publish your piece, then we can go down the list and you can give us you can wax eloquent on it. Okay. And I'll give you my opinions whether I think you're full of shit or whether it's valid. Hmm. Okay. Well, yeah. as long as I'm as good as the. Uh... Marines that went to Korea. I'll be happy. Oh. <laughs> well, let me tell you, we should all aspire to their greatness. We should all aspire because let me tell you, yeah. if I, I, you know, I could tell you that, that um, I mean, three different times in my life, I got on airplanes to go fight for the country. And every single time, I was mindful of the legacy that the Marines that have gone before us uh, have written. And, um, you know, I think you, in your very quiet moments, you have thoughts like, I'm not really sure if I'm going to go home or not, but I know one thing, I'm, I'm going to do my job. I'm not going to let anybody down. And I think, you know, we are, uh, our culture is steeped in that and is, is powerful, you know, in it. And, and being a Marine is, 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 you know, is pregnant with, uh, with a lot of stuff and, uh, and our history, uh, whether any, whether anybody else gives a shit about it or not, we do. And we believe it, right? We believe it. And um, I was sitting in it at, at something once, and somebody said, "You know, the Marines actually believe all their propaganda." And I looked across and I said, "What are you talking about? <laughs> right? Like what propaganda? Right? <laughs> so, yeah, you know, it's but we do." We yeah, do like the like the Dallas Cowboys back when they used to be good, you know. Back back in the remember the Landry era, they you just or the 49ers when Walsh was coach in Montana, you knew you were going to win, right? And uh, well, is that propaganda? Is it boastfulness or what is it? No, it's they've mastered their profession and they have that something extra uh, that is what makes you win most of the time. Well, I, I and, tell uh, people, you know the difference between, you know, shit talking and, com- and and confidence, right? Confidence is born of achievement, right? It means you did it. That's confidence. Shit talking means you just, you're talking about nothing. You haven't done anything. But you, when your confidence is born of achievement, there you go. Marine Corps, hoorah. Uh. <laughs> all right we'll end on that we'll end on that high note all right yeah Uh and just uh, if you're listening to this don't be afraid to head down to your local recruiting office you can find them marines.com so anyway grant thank you 
Sure, pleasure. Okay, thanks a lot. Always right. enjoy it. You bet. See you. All right, have here. Bye. That'll do it on a uh, Wednesday edition of All Marine Radio. My thanks to Grant for coming on. Always fun to talk with him. Uh, you know, again, it's pretty amazing. The United States sitting down with Russia to bargain the future of Ukraine. And Ukraine not present in the discussions. I, I, as I told Grant, this formula never seems to work out very well. Grant's, you know, alluding to Czechoslovakia being given away. In very much the same fashion. Appeasing a dictator. You know, and again, I, to me, this all gets invited by, you know, a weak European military institution a united a diminished united states in world standing because of afghanistan and vladimir putin gonna pull your punk card again germany germany doesn't even have a military yeah non-functional military maybe for you know ceremonial appearances and shit like that they'll talk trot people out but in terms of a functional military oh they've got a frigate don't forget about that. It's, it's, you know, you're inviting this shit. NATO defensive in its nature. The right of self-determination of a people. How do you give away a sovereign nation as a third party? So we will see. And then what will the Chinese say? What will they conclude? So anyway, thanks for listening today. Have a great day. Uh, the Mensa Brothers uh, will join me on Friday. So you'll see that get posted right at 8 o'clock on Friday. So I'm Mike McNamara, this is All Marine Radio. Have a great day. Uh, if I can help you help somebody else that's struggling with their life after traumatic experiences, all the contact information at allmarineradio.com and posttraumaticwinning.com leads to me. So don't be afraid to reach out. Have a great day. I'm out.